بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله الحمد لله حمدا كثيرا طيبا مباركا فيه مباركا عليه كما يحب ربنا ويرضى جل جلاله وعم نواله والصلاة والسلام على سيد الحبيب المصطفى صلى الله تعالى عليه وعلى آله وصحبه وبارك وسلم تسليما كثيرا إلى يوم الدين أما بعد مشاهد this is a very um, honorable moment because there are many events taking place in the world and a lot of people being massacred. And when they say that when the Bukhari, uh, Sahih al-Bukhari is completed, uh, it's been an experience of our ulama that the du'as are accepted there as well. It's a very auspicious occasion in that regard. So we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for relief for all of us and especially for our brothers and sisters who are suffering in the different countries in the world, especially in Palestine. Now, uh, many of us get to teach a bit of Sahih al-Bukhari, Sahih Muslim and other kitabs and so on. However, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given this very, very special status to Sahih al-Bukhari that when it's completed, the normal teacher who teaches it, uh, he leaves out the last hadith. The last hadith is then uh, presented especially in a special gathering like this, which they call a khatam of Bukhari, the completion of Sahih al-Bukhari. Normally, in a khatam of Sahih al-Bukhari, they get uh, a very special scholar, uh, somebody who's uh, esteemed, somebody who's been doing this for uh, teaching Bukhari for many, many, many years and so on. Uh, I, I don't understand why I'm standing here uh, because I don't qualify for that. And I'm saying that honestly. It feels really bad to be doing this for myself. Um, mashallah, we do have many, many Sahih Bukhari. So about these sentiments, about this particular sentiment and this particular emotion, I have a little poem that's com composed. So I'd like to share that in front of you before we start the rest. In humble reverence, I sit before you all, or rather I stand before you all, to teach Bukhari's wisdom a sacred call, a journey of knowledge through hadiths we roam, a path the great scholars have gracefully shown. Today the final lesson, a moment profound with awe in my heart and a reverend abound, unabound, I am honored and humble to conclude this great tome, in the footsteps of giants, I find my home. For scholars of old, their legacy vast, a beacon of light through times everlast. In their footsteps I follow, though their path is grand, guiding the seekers of truth across the land. But I'm just a soul, in their shadows I stand, carrying their knowledge to every corner and strand. With reverence, I tread on this blessed quest for the love of our Prophet, I do my best. O oh Allah, our guide, our protector, our light, grant us strength and wisdom to continue the fight. In the footsteps of scholars, we humbly embrace to preserve and transmit your mercy and grace. Though giants have left, their legacy lives on. In every lesson we teach, in every new dawn, their wisdom and guidance, like stars in the night, illuminate our path, leading us to the light. So let us march forward with hearts strong and true, knowing that Allah's blessing will see us through. In the company of scholars, we find, we found, we find our place, for knowledge and faith will continue, to will continue to chase. So with gratitude and hope, we continue this creed, for knowledge is a treasure that all souls need. In the spirit of scholars, we pass on the flame, teaching the Prophet's words. In his blessed name, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. 
So, firstly, I'd like to congratulate this madrasa for becoming a very important link in this wonderful tradition of ours, all the way from the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, which is over 1,400 years, where scholars have taken from other scholars directly, and then from their teachers directly, and then from their teachers until the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. Alhamdulillah, we've been granted this wonderful system. Uh, of completing all six books with a teacher. And that is exactly what we're here to celebrate uh, today. Uh, just a bit about Sahih al-Bukhari, what's so great about it, the ulama will already know, but for the rest of us, you get to hear about the completion of Sahih al-Bukhari every year. So what's so great about Sahih al-Bukhari? Firstly, if we were to quote one of our scholars, one of our great scholars, Imam Nawi, he says uh, in his commentary on Sahih Muslim, he says that the ulama, the scholars have all agreed that the most rigorously authentic and reliable book after the Qur'an, the mighty Qur'an, are the Bukhari and Muslim, the two books. And the whole Ummah has accepted them, uh, and accepted them as being the most authentic books. However, Kitab of Bukhari, Bukhari's book, has a virtue over Muslim's book. So Imam Bukhari's book is actually more reliable than even Imam Muslim's book and has greater benefit, he says, and has uh, greater knowledge within it. I may prefer Muslim more than Bukhari, but the majority prefer Bukhari over Muslim. And uh, the other reason is that Imam Muslim was a teacher or was a student of Imam Bukhari. So the Bukhari, Muhammad ibn Ismail al-Bukhari, rahimahullah, is the teacher. Imam Muslim is his student. Likewise, Ibn Kathir, our great uh, Mufassir commentator of the Qur'an, he said the same thing. He said the ulama have all agreed and have a consensus that Sahih al-Bukhari and it being Sahih is something accepted by them all. So, <clears throat> one thing that I do want to clarify here that there shouldn't be any misunderstanding because of this. There's a misunderstanding that because Sahih al-Bukhari and Muslim are the most Sahih and reliable collections, then only they matter. But that's not true. They don't only matter. The only thing this proves is that all the hadiths in there, the limited number, the few thousand that are in there, they are all sahih. That does not mean all sahih hadith in existence are found in these two collections. There are many other sahih hadiths that many, many others would agree that they're sahih as well, but they're just not found in these two collections because these two collections they had criteria for taking certain hadith and not taking others. Certain criteria, very strict criteria actually. They have the strictest criteria probably. Uh, there's others probably have slightly more stricter criteria. But they, they only accepted those. But otherwise, there's many other sahih hadith as well. So you can't say if something is not in Bukhari and Muslim, I'm not going to accept it. Because that, that has been an issue. So don't misunderstand that. Now, Imam Bukhari, he collected many hadith many times what he's got in his book he actually says himself that I selected my sahih my collection from 600,000 narrations so he had 600,000 narrations and from them over 16 years he collected the and I'll tell you exactly what number of hadith he has in his book but he only chose a portion of them the total number in his book uh, there's slightly different uh, n numbers given because 
Some narrations can be split into two and seen as two hadiths. Some, can be see, uh, some will look at them as one whole hadith. That's why there's a slight difference in number. So also another thing is that in Sahih al-Bukhari, if you look at unique narrations that tell you something new, then that's a lesser number to the narrations in total because he sometimes brings the same narrations but with a slightly different wording or a slightly different chain. And some narrations are bought 20, 30 times as well. So based on all of that, then if you were to number his book in terms of all of the hadith, you will get approximately 7,363 narrations. So that's over 7,000. 7363, easy number to remember. Out of which only about 2,500 are unique narrations that are totally different from one another in every aspect. Uh, others say it's actually 7,593 uh, without counting the mu'allaqat. Imam Bukhari mentions a lot of other small uh, uh, narrations or rather small anecdotes or points from the Prophet or others without mentioning their chain. Those are in addition. Ibn Hajar, rahimahullah, one of the greatest commentators, he says it's 7397. That's his view, 7397 and, 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 and so on. So we're not going to get into, but you can understand that there's about 2,500 unique narrations and over 7,300 uh, narrations in total with different isnads and with different chains. And altogether, there's about 97 chapters in the whole book on the different subjects. So 97 different subjects are covered in this kitab. Now, what's really interesting here is every one of these 7,300 narrations, 7,300 hadiths, what did Imam Bukhari do to make his book so accepted? So every one of these 7,300 hadith, what he does is his student says that he did a ghusl, he had a bath, literally 7,300 and some times during the time that he wrote this book. For every hadith that he was going to include in it, before that he would have a bath, a ghusl to be pure, and then after that he would do istikhara. He would ask Allah, Is this, should I include this or not? Should I include this or not? So, that's why Firabri, says ma wada uh, uh, relating from Imam Bukhari says ma wada'tu fi kitabi as-sahih hadithan illa ightasaltu qabla dhalik except that I had a bath a ghusl before it wa sallaytu rak'atayn and then I prayed two salat two rak'ats of salat as well to do the istikhara that's related from Ibn Hajar and many others now some people say that's a lot of baths that's a lot of ghusl how could he have done so much how many years did I say that he took to compile the book in? 16 years. In 16 years, 7,000 baths, I mean, couldn't you do that? Now let's just, take, let's just say that to, do a, uh, to take a shower, 10 minutes, pray two rakats of salat nicely, 10 minutes, do an istikhara, 5 minutes, 25 minutes, just say half an hour. So if you had to do 7,000 narrations, Divide that in half an hour, times by half an hour, exactly. How many will you get? About 3,500 or so. That's not really that many hours that it will take. And if you split that over 16 years, it's very easy to do. In fact, it's like every two days is one hadith. 
according to the, the rudimentary calculation I did, every one or two days, one hadith. You can easily do that. So, but that's interesting of why his book is so well accepted today, that today in Leytonstone, in London, we are gathered here. Something has brought us out of our houses to come and have this ceremony and complete this book. MashaAllah. Now, another thing that we have to, uh, another thing I want us to understand before I actually comment on the hadith itself is that all of these books that we have, this Bukhari, this Muslim, Abu Dawud, Tirmidhi, and all of the main books that we have at least, their translations are fully available in print. So you can actually buy copies. And number two, what else you can do is you don't even have to buy copies anymore. You can actually search for any of them with their translation online today. It's very easy to do that. Now, the, there's an issue though. Why do madrasas like this and many others, and we've had a number of Khatm Bukhari already, and there's literally hundreds of thousands of these gatherings that take place every year. Why do they do it in this way where it's done with a teacher? Why can't you just check it online and just go through Sahih al-Bukhari yourself? Reason is that if you try to go through Sahih al-Bukhari yourself, while many of the hadith will be simple, but there will be contradictions that you'll come across. There'll be hadiths that are both, in fact, three hadiths mentioned in Sahih al-Bukhari telling you slightly different things. Now, if, you have, if we have not studied how to reconcile hadith and how to figure out slight differences in them and why a hadith says one number and another hadith says another number about something, how do you reconcile that? It'll lead you to doubt. That's why, how do you reconcile them? For example, there's a hadith in Bukhari. Ibn Abbas narrates, Prophet ﷺ performed ablution, wudu, by washing the body parts only once. So every body part he only washed once. There's another hadith where it says that the Prophet ﷺ from Abdullah ibn Zayd, the Prophet ﷺ washed every body part twice. There's a third hadith in which Abdullah ibn Zayd again says, once Allah's apostle came to us, ﷺ, we brought out water for him in a brass pot, he performed the wudu, the ablution. He washed his face thrice and his forearms on the elbow twice, then passed his wet hands lightly over the head from front to the rear, brought them back forward and washed his feet up to the ankles. This one indicates three times, at least in one limb. How do you reconcile that? So the ulama have discussed this in detail. One of the ways to simply understand is that Minimum is one time the Prophet wanted to show that your wudu will be done as long as you cover everything and you wash it once. However, it is superior and better to wash everything three times. That's what we get from the others or two times at least and, and, and so on. So that's one of the reconciliations. There's other ways of reconciling today. We're not going to go into that. But that is why there are multiple commentaries written on this book. Does anybody have an idea of how many commentaries are in on this book from Imam Bukhari's time to now? Right? From Imam Bukhari's time to now, how many commentaries are written? Over 130. Over 130 commentaries have written to explain each one of these narrations. To explain each one of these narrations, you have all of these books. Imam Bukhari passed away in 256 AH. We are in 1440. Five, four hundred fourteen hundred and forty-five. So that is approximately how many years is that? About twelve, just less than twelve hundred years. That's and in there, so many people because it needs to be explained. 
His job is only to compile the hadith and to tell you if there's a mas'ala that comes from them. That's why we study with teachers. That's been the tradition. The Prophet ﷺ, anybody who studied with him became sahaba. Anybody who studied with the sahaba became tabi'een. And anybody who studied with the tabi'een became atba'u tabi'een or tab'u tabi'een. That we actually even have names for people who study. That's why we have a connection all the way to Sahih al-Bukhari. And I'll explain that a bit later in, uh, when, we, when we actually start the hadith. Now, if we're going to start the hadith, uh, there's another little tradition and a custom that when hadith scholars start teaching hadith to their students or anybody for that matter, for a very long time now, there's been a custom that there's one particular hadith that they transmit first which has, maybe has nothing to do with the book they're going to teach or the collection they're going to complete. That is called Hadith al-Musalsal bil-Awwaliyyah. So from now, uh, fr- uh, fr- from now until uh, many, 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 many generations up, not necessarily up to the Prophet's time, um, to Sufyan ibn Uyayna's time, to Sufyan ibn Uyayna's time, one big muhaddith, up to his time, everybody said that the first Hadith I learned from my teacher Right, that's 15, 20 to 30 people in between, right? Who say that the first hadith I heard from my teacher was this one. So I'm going to relate that to you. So from him is the hadith related from the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. Qala qala Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam. Arrahimuna yarhamuhum arrahman. Yarhamu man fil ard. Yarhamkum. Or yarhamukum man fil sama. What that hadith means is that Abdullah ibn Amr radiyallahu anhu is saying that the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam said that the merciful ones, the most merciful, which is Allah, has mercy on them. If we act with mercy to others, Allah will have mercy on them. Have mercy on those on the ground, on the earth, and those in the heavens, the one in the heaven, the angels and so on, they will have mercy on you. So that is the first hadith. Now uh, we will, uh, for our students who have just completed, I'm going to have to read this hadith, the last hadith. So this hadith is related. I'm not going to mention everything, but I studied the same hadith. From our Shaykh, Shaykh Yusuf Mutala Rahimahullah. He studied this hadith from Shaykh Zakaria Kandelwi Rahimahullah. Shaykh Zakaria Kandelwi got this hadith through three different chains from Shawariullah. I'll mention one or two of them quickly. He studied, he heard this hadith from Shaykh, his father, Shaykh Yahya Kandelwi, from Rashid Ahmad Gangohi, from Shah Abdul Ghani Mujaddidi, from his father, Shah Abu Saeed Al Mujaddidi, from Shah Muhammad Ishaq Dehlawi. Both from Shah Abdul Aziz and Shah Abdul Aziz from his father, Shah Waliullah. Then after that, he has another, another chain which I'll mention as well. Sheikh Zakaria, Rahimahullah, he takes this hadith from Sheikh Khalil Ahmed Sahranpuri, who takes from Muhammad Mazhar Nanotwi, from Sh- and Sheikh Mamlukul Ali and Nanotwi, from Rashiduddin Khan Kashmiri, from Shah Abdul Aziz. That's a shorter chain, and that then goes to Shah Waliullah. And then he has a third one. We're not going to go into all of them for now. But just to show you that our isnad, our chain is connected when we relate this hadith. From Shah Waliullah, it goes up 
through Ibrahim al-Kurdi. Muhammad ibn Ibrahim al-Kurdi from his father Ibrahim al-Kurdi goes all the way up through multiple chains to Imam Bukhari. Now when it gets to Imam Bukhari, that's where Imam Bukhari says, so وَبِلْ إِسْنَادِ الْمُتَّصِلِ مِنَّا Through this chain I've just mentioned. وَبِلْ إِسْنَادِ الْمُتَّصِلِ مِنَّا إِلَى الْإِمَامِ الْبُخَارِ Now what does Imam Bukhari say? Imam Bukhari, he also has his chain now up to the Prophet So his chain is, well before he starts his chain, he says, بَابُ قَوْلِ اللَّهِ تَعَالَى وَنَضَعُ الْمَوَازِينَ الْقِسْتِ لِيَوْمِ الْقِيَامَةِ This is a chapter regarding Allah's words, the ayah, that we will establish the scales of justice on the Day of Judgment, Suratul Anbiya. He, he, he quotes that first. Then he says, This is Imam Bukhari saying, this is a chapter regarding this verse and regarding the fact that every action and a deed and statement of the human being is going to be on a scale and is going to be weighed in the hereafter. Then he quotes from Mujahid, who is uh, a tabi'i, that the word... وَنَضَعُ الْمَوَازِينَ الْقِسْتِ comes from the concept Al-Qustas. Al-Qustas is Al-Adlu بِالْرُومِيَةِ وَيُقَالُ الْقِسْتِ مَصْدَرُ الْمُقْسِتِ وَهُوَ الْعَادِلِ I'll explain all of this in a short while. وَأَمَّ الْقَاسِتِ فَهُوَ الْجَائِرِ So, then he narrates the hadith. Okay, now before we actually narrate the hadith, I'm just going to explain this first part here. So firstly, what Imam Bukhari does is that he brings this chapter, uh, he brings this hadith last. He starts his book with Kitabul Iman, Babu Bad'il Wahi, how the revelation began on the Prophet. And there's a lots of other Iman aspects related in that first chapter. Then, right at the end again, he comes back to Iman. He calls it Kitabul Tawheed, the book on declaring the oneness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So, the beginning and the end is uh, very similar in that sense. Now, at the beginning of this, so, uh, some editions have Kitab al-Raddi ala al-Jahmiyyah wa, 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 wa ghayrihim al-Tawheed. The Jahmiyyah and others, this is a chapter on the Jahmiyyah, which was a sect and a group before, who rejected Tawheed fully. So, this is a chapter about them. Uh, mostly, if you've noticed many of the last many chapters, they're actually a response to the Mu'tazilites. Uh, Mu'tazilites denied certain aspects, like the attributes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in a certain way. So Imam Bukhari is establishing the attributes and showing the proofs for these attributes, both from the Qur'an and from the Sunnah, because usually in the beginning of a chapter, he will bring some Qur'anic verses to prove a point. Now, he then says, Mawazin. الْمَوَازِينَ الْقِسْتِ We will establish scales. Mawazin, plural of mizan, which is a scale. Now the question is that, how many scales are there going to be there? If you've got billions of people who are, every one of us who is going to have our actions weighed, how many scales are there? Are there like loads of stalls with scales that it, you know, we're going to have to go through this system of small scales? Some people say that, yes, there's going to be multiple scales. Some say, no, there's only going to be one scale. And of course, it's going to be the miracle on that day, how everybody just gets through that very quickly. Maybe this scale will be such a smart scale. Today we can understand all these things. It will just literally just pick up everybody's actions from wherever they're standing and just wear them automatically. You know, nowadays you can just uh, put something in one place and it just literally scans everybody's phones 
or everybody in a certain way or, or a, uh, a, a chip or something. Allah knows best. But as technology moves on, this stuff gets much more easier to understand, to be honest. It gets a lot more easier to understand. So that's one aspect that if those who said there's only one scale, how does that one scale measure everybody? Well, I think it's going to be a very, very smart scale and it's just going to figure everybody's out. However, there's others who say that, no, it's going to be a, well, this can be a physical scale. They haven't discussed this aspect, but another aspect they have discussed is that is this scale going to be, or rather, is this weighing going to be physical or is it going to be an abstract weighing? Like you take somebody's temperature. Right? You just put a, uh, you literally now point some, uh, uh, like a little temperature gun at their wrist or at their forehead. Sounds a bit strange, right? And then they find out your temperature. Is it going to be something like this? Or is it going to be that it's going to have two pans, like scales do? And you put, you know, your deeds or whatever fruit you're buying in one and you put the weight in the other one. What is it going to be like? Is it going to be an electronic scale? Obviously, the older scholars would never have spoken about an electronic scale where you just literally have one pan. You put stuff on there and it measures it for you. But I think, wallahu alam, Allah knows best. But as the world moves on, the, the, the idea of a scale or taking measurements becomes a lot more sophisticated and a lot more intricate and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is latif and the most intricate of them all we leave that there all we believe in as Allah says in the Quran is there will be a scale and our deeds will be weighed that is for sure that is 100% right that's what we have to prepare for the only people whose is not gonna, whose deeds are not going to get weighed right are people who get to paradise without any questioning who get to paradise without any questioning they don't have to they don't have to go through this right they don't have to go through this and there may be some others but otherwise everybody has to have uh, the weight done on the scales according to hakim which is a collection of hadith uh, from salman al-farsi radiyallahu anhu he states that the pan is so large that it would encompass the heavens and the earth. That's how large this scale is. And again, it's not far-fetched that you could have such a large pan and everybody just goes and places their book of deeds or their book of deeds are just all placed in there at once and everybody gets weighed because it individually pressure points or whatever it is, it can figure it out. Allah knows best. As I said, none of this is too difficult to understand right now. For example, Ibn al-Qayyim, Ibn Qayyim al-Jawziyyah, rahimahullah, he has a book on the delights of paradise, Hadil Arwah. He discusses in there that if there's going to be roast meat in paradise, how is it going to be roasted? You need fire to roast things. How is it going to be? Where's fire in paradise? Fire is a characteristic of hell. So why would there be fire in paradise? How is it going to be roasted? He's writing according to his time, so he ventures to give a few answers. One of the answers is, some have said that it's going to be taken to hellfire to be roasted. <laughs> I don't know if anybody wants any chicken roasted in hellfire. Okay, That's just a weak opinion probably. He said, mentions a few other points. And then he says that, look, why are we arguing about this? That Allah, who is going to refit our stomachs, so that no longer when we eat or drink, does it come out as waste. It will come out and be processed as musk that will come out from your body. It will be a whole new system inside. So why are we questioning it's going to happen? Now today, the modern world has shown us how you can roast something without fire. You can roast something without fire. 
You have electric, elect, electric ovens. You have microwaves. I don't know if you can roast in a microwave. However, you have air fryers. You have halogen fryers or halogen, uh, halogen cooking facilities and multiple others where there's no fire at all. Again, all of these things that Allah has mentioned, the Prophet ﷺ has mentioned earlier, it was maybe a bit difficult to understand in those times because they were just rudimentary options, basic options. Now, as things get more developed and more, Allah is just showing us that all of these things, revelations, they were absolute reality. There's a lot of examples like that. There's a lot of examples like that. For example, in the time of the Prophet ﷺ, there was a Sahabi. His name was Sariya. He was actually one of the freed slaves of the Prophet ﷺ. Later on, he was in a battle in the time of Umar and he was, a, he was on a, in a battle many hundreds of miles away. Umar is standing. Imagine this is a Jumu'ah congregation. Umar is standing here. He's got many, many more people than we have here. All the, sah all the Sahaba Tabi'een are sitting there. Suddenly in the middle of his khutbah, he says, Sariya, Sariya. The mountain, the mountain, Sari is not around. But he suddenly exclaims this in the middle of the, conf in the, middle of the, 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 the service, in the middle of the, the khutbah. Everybody's wondering who he's talking to, where is Sari? Maybe he's somewhere, maybe he can't see. Many people knew that Sari was out on an expedition many hundreds of miles away. People obviously recorded this, remembered this. When Sari finally came back after a few weeks or whatever it was, he was asked, what was it, you know, we, this is an event which we experienced. What do you think? Uh, uh, what happened? He says, yes, we were, we were hiding from an enemy or trying to attack them. We didn't know that behind the mountain, they had figured out and they were going to attack us, attack us from behind the mountain. I suddenly heard Umar alone's voice saying, Saria, watch the mountain. And it was a good job we did because that's how we knew them. We went and checked. Otherwise, we would have been attacked without recognition, without, without, without realizing. Now, today, is that an impossibility? In that day, it was seen as an impossibility, Abs still a miracle. But today, you could actually do this. I could have a headpiece in right now, right? Or I could have a microphone here, which is connected to Saria or whoever it is down there. While I'm speaking to you, suddenly I'm like, you know what, I, I've, on my glasses, I've got a screen. Right, that is showing me that while I'm talking to you. And oh, look, I can see an aerial view. Hey guys, check it out quickly. Ahmed, check out behind the mountain. You're like, what's he talking to? Now, don't you see people walking down the street? Men and women, sometimes women with a phone stuck in a hijab. In fact, you don't even need that anymore. You've got earpieces. And the guy's walking down the street and he's talking loudly. Like, who's he talking to? It's becoming more usual. But people who come from other countries where they don't see this stuff. It's like, be a like, is this guy crazy? Who is he speaking to? He's just speaking to himself. Sounds like a reasonable guy, but he's speaking to himself. All of these things are possible. In fact, in the future, you may just have a little chip somewhere and you could make calls like that. So you won't even need a device. Umar anhu uses that modern, upgraded, beyond even today's time facility then. And today we understand. He does it without it. Allah gave him that technology. Right? How that sound was carried on, what kind of waves, what kind of transmission, God knows best. But is that impossible to understand today? It's not impossible to understand. Another one, simple idea, the Prophet ﷺ went on the ascension. Right? Mi'raj. 
The Prophet ﷺ went to Jerusalem in one night from Makkah, which would take days. He went there within a short amount of time. And from there, he went up to the heavens. Sounds mythical. Sounds absolutely impossible. But today, is that really impossible when we've gotten to places like Mars and other places? That's just showing us the future. Yes, you may need a suit, space suit to get up there to be able to defy the various different forces up in the heavens. But maybe very soon there'll be something you can take as a pill or maybe just a spray-on suit right in the future which you can withstand the different pressures uh, that are found up there which the Prophet ﷺ was already made to experience. So he goes up there and comes back. It's no longer an impossibility. We can't explain the details of it, but the overarching idea of it is not within the realm of impossibilities anymore. It's an absolute possibility. Next time you ask this question, you can inshallah answer with confidence. So that was, as I said, going back to the scale now, 70,000 people of those who uh, don't get questioning in the hereafter, they won't have to have the scale used for them and they will just carry on. Then, when there's an interesting point for those who have the hadith in front of for the students, al qustas al adlu birrumiya, I mean, you, you would be forgiven for saying that this is Roman. Romans took over from the Greeks. So, if you go to Athens today, you see it's an open air museum in many parts. On the various different hills, you'll see many different remnants. It starts off with the Greeks. It starts off with the Greeks BC. Then it carries on after CE, Christian era, and then the Romans take over, right? Romans take over, then the Romans carry on. And then if you go to Rome, you'll see where a lot of Roman stuff. But in multiple countries in the world, in the, world the Greeks, you'll see the Greek architecture, Greek remnants are older than the Roman, because the Greeks came before. So the Romans inherited from the Greeks, they pretty much took over and expanded what they, what they wanted to do. So it says that Kustas is justice in Rumiya. When I looked into this, uh, my opinion here is that it refers to Greek. There's a word in Greek, dikastis, uh, which means to judge. So that's where, where this comes from. Now, Imam Bukhari is mentioning something interesting here, which should be pointed out that Allah uses the word Qaf, Seen, Ta in the Quran in multiple places in different meanings. So in the trilateral root, Qasata, Qasata, that is Qasit, that is used as somebody who's not just. Even though Qist means justice, Arabic is really interesting that you change the form of it and it gives you either an opposing meaning, an enhanced meaning, a specifically characterized detail meaning. So Qasit, Qasit refers to the unjust. And Muqsit, Aqsata Yuqsitu Iqsad Muqsit refers to the, the ones who do right and who are just. So, as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions in Surah uh, Al Jinn, Muqsitun, he refers to as the rightful, the, the righteous ones, which means the just ones. And Wa'amma al Qasituna, Fakanu li Jahannama Hataba. As far as the unjust ones, they're going to be fuel for the fire. That's mentioned elsewhere. So that's why Imam Bukhari mentions Al-Qistu, Mastarul Muqsit, Wa Huwa Al-Adil. If you use it in the, in the four-letter 
iqsat meaning, it comes in the meaning of a just person. And if you use it in qasit, as in the trilateral one, uh, in, in just the three-letter uh, three one, that is jair, the oppressor. Right, let us now uh, read the hadith. Let us, try, let us read the, uh, the, the full hadith. وَبِلِسْنَادِ الْمُتَّصِلِ مِنَّا إِلَى الْإِمَامِ الْبُخَارِ قَالَ حَدَّثْنِي أَحْمَدُ بْنُ إِشْكَابِ So I've already related to you much of my transmission to Imam Bukhari. Now Imam Bukhari takes over from there. He says, حَدَّثْنِي أَحْمَدُ بْنُ إِشْكَابِ My teacher Ahmad ibn Ishkab related to me. That's what Imam Bukhari says. He says, Ahmad ibn Ishkab then says, My teacher Muhammad ibn Fudayl transmitted to me, related it to me. From Umara ibn al-Qa'qa' That's his teacher. That's where he got it from. From Abu Zura. And he from Abu Huraira radiallahu anhu. That the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said. So I'll just read it in Arabic so that at least we've got the isnad here. وَبِالْإِسْنَادِ الْمُتَّصِلْ مِنَّا إِلَى الْإِمَامِ الْبُخَارِي قَالَ حَدَّثَنِي أَحْمَدُ بْنُ إِشْكَاب قَالَ حَدَّثَنَا مُحَمَدُ بْنُ فُضَيْلًا عُمَارَةَ بْنِ الْقَعْقَعْ رضي الله رحمه الله عن أبي زرعة عن أبي هريرة رضي الله عنه قال قال النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم and you can repeat you can say this with me because I'm sure you know this already كلمتان حبيبتان إلى الرحمن كلمتان حبيبتان إلى الرحمن خفيفتان على اللسان ثقيلتان في الميزان سبحان الله وبحمده سبحان الله العظيم this is the way Imam Bukhari finishes this hadith, uh, his book actually, by saying there are two words, two formulas, two statements, which are very beloved to the most merciful one. Using the most merciful one as the characteristic of Allah here. The most beloved to the merciful one, if you read them, inshallah, you will invoke Allah's mercy on you. Rather than using a general term or a collective term, use specifically kalimata ila rahman here, probably to rhyme as well. Khafifatani ala lisan, they're very light on the tongue, they don't take long to read. Subhanallah wa bihamdi, subhanallah al They don't take long, did it? Right? And then he says, but they're going to be very heavy on this scale on the Day of Judgment. The reason he brings this hadith is to show that even in hadith, scale is mentioned, scale is established. It's from hadith as well and the Quran that the scale is mentioned. But then we get a benefit that we get to, people get to learn about this beautiful dua, beautiful formula. What is it? Subhanallah wa bihamdihi subhanallah al-azim. Which means, subhanallah. The word subhanallah is opposed to alhamdulillah. Subhanallah is when we're saying to Allah that we declare that you are free of all faults, all defects. That's what subhanallah means. Remember that. Subhanallah, the reason we start with that, we say Alhamdulillah afterwards, Subhanallah, you are free of defects. You are much high and above any wrong, any defect, or any fault that anybody could come up with, or even think about. Alhamdulillah, all praise is for you. That means all goodness is for you, all khayr is for you, all good qualities are ascribed to you, and then we have nothing better to say than Allahu Akbar. You are the greatest. Allah is the greatest. That's how it works. You start with Subhanallah by taking away all defects. Alhamdulillah. Not that he has any defects. You're just saying, I don't believe and I acknowledge and I confess you have no defects. And then all praise are yours. And Allahu Akbar, you are the greatest. That's how it usually works. So, Allahumma salli ala Sayyidina Muhammad wa ala ali Sayyidina Muhammad wa barik wa sallim. So, that, that's how he uh, ends uh, this hadith, Subhanallah wa bihamdihi, Subhanallah al-Azim. 
This hadith is uh, not just mentioned here right at the end. It's mentioned in Kitabul Isti'dhan. It's mentioned in at least three other places in Imam Bukhari Sahih. So students would have read it already, right? However, he decides to bring it back here with this specific chain right at the end to mention it. At the end, to leave that as a wonderful taste in your mouth, something to take home with you, right? Which is that read Subhanallah wa bihamdi, Subhanallah al at least a hundred times a day, because there's in other hadith they tell you the virtue of reading that a hundred times a day, at least. Now, what's interesting here, just a few additional points, is that this hadith, getting a bit technical here, has only been for a certain number of the individuals, it's only been transmitted by one individual in every generation. From the Prophet, it's not multiple, it's not translated by multiple individuals, at least for two or three generations. It's only, we only have one person in each until it becomes more famous later on. That is the same thing as the first hadith of Sahih al-Bukhari. The first hadith of Sahih al-Bukhari is also what they call a gharib or a lone narration. Where only Umar has related from the Prophet that hadith in that particular way. From the Prophet and nobody else. Later everybody else picked it up and they started spreading it. Right? So the first hadith of Sahih al-Bukhari as وَبِلِسْنَادِ الْمُتَّصِلِ مِنَّا إِلَى الْإِمَامِ الْبُخَارِ قَالَ كَيْفَ كَانَ بَدْءُ الْوَحْيِ إِلَىٰ رَسُولِ اللَّهِ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمُ How did the revelation begin? On the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, وَقَوْلُ اللَّهِ عَزَّ وَجَلْ and Allah's words, إِنَّا أَوْحَيْنَا إِلَيْكَ كَمَا أَوْحَيْنَا إِلَى نُوحٍ وَالنَّبِيِّينَ مِنْ بَعْدِهِ Then he says, وَبِهِ قَالَ حَدَّثَنَا الْحُمَيْدِي عَبْدُ اللَّهِ بْنُ الزُّبَيْرِ So his teaching in this case is Humaydi. He says, قَالَ حَدَّثَنَا سُفْيَان Sufyan narrated to us. He says, قَالَ حَدَّثَنَا يَحْيَى بْنُ سَعِيدَ الْأَنصَارِ He's the one. He's the teacher. Of Sufyan. He says, Muhammad ibn Ibrahim al-Taymi. He says, he heard Al-Qama ibn Waqqas al-Layfi saying that he heard Umar ibn al-Khattab radiallahu anhu on the member saying, Actions are going to intentions. That's the way these things work. That's the first hadith. And the hadith we just read from ibn Ishkab is the last hadith. They're both gharib. What the last hadith means overall in general is that two very light words, Subhanallah wa bihamdihi, Subhanallah al have such a huge value in the sight of Allah. And the main thing which is going to be your proof is that in the scale they're going to be very, very heavy, even though they're only two short sentences. Now imagine that compared to everything else. We understand that from another hadith as well where the Prophet ﷺ spoke about La ilaha illallah written on a piece of paper was superior and more heavier than everything else that was put opposite to it, right? To counterweigh it. So there's nothing far-fetched about these things. Words become, words become more important and valued based on their effects, based on why they, why they are said, based on who tells you to say them, and the contents of them, their profundity of the message they carry, the profoundness of its meaning, and the value of its meaning. That's, that's what, these are words of the Prophet ﷺ. He's telling us, very easy to roll off your tongue, but very, very heavy in the scale on the Day of Judgment that they will give you lots of happiness and joy, despite the fact that they just shut such short 
words, Subhanallah wa bihamdihi Subhanallah al-Azim. And to finish off, there's a few other points that scholars make after they've analyzed. We don't know if Imam Bukhari had this intention. I want to clarify that. Lots of people have some really interesting, subtle points. They figured out why Imam Bukhari used the hadith first and a certain hadith last, why he ended with this one, why he started with that one. Allah knows best what was in his mind. However, sometimes you do things for what your purpose, but it actually fulfills multiple other purposes. So there's nothing wrong in mentioning these things. Some say that Imam Muslim started his book with faith, Kitabul Iman. And then he mentions all these other chapters and then he comes to the end and he mentions another point on faith. Because he wants faith to be the most important thing because faith is the most important thing. It is the foundation of our actions and everything. Without faith, our actions are useless. So we have to have true faith. That's one thing. Number two, the narrators of the first hadith was Humaydi. Comes from the concept of Hamd. And the last hadith is Ahmad ibn Ishkab. Ahmad is from Hamd. He wants Allah to be praised both in the beginning and the end. Again, I don't know if he thought about that, but it's definitely an interesting point. And whether it's through causation or correlation, Allah knows best. Number three, hadith about the scale. Why this point? While he did it to just prove that the scale exists, which other groups denied. But really the subtle point here is that forget the groups now. This is a timeless book. Those groups are gone that Imam Bukhari was responding to. What really matters now is for each one of us who reads and who understands this is that there will be a scale on the, in the hereafter which we all have to worry about. That's the main scale we have to worry about that do everything, accomplishments of our world, are they going to really weigh up on that day to give us success? And lastly, uh, just for today, the, uh, one last point I want to mention is that Subhanallah wa bihamdihi, Subhanallah al-Azim. Subhanallah wa bihamdihi, that's literally the last words now, Imam Bukhari. Subhanallah wa bihamdihi, Subhanallah al-Azim. Now, he could have related the dua for ending gatherings, which is, who knows the dua for ending, ending a gathering? Subhanakallahumma, what is it? That's the one. Tasbih. That's a tasbih as well. So Imam Bukhari ends this as well because we're told to do glorifying Allah at the end. Just in case we've said anything or whatever, we say, no, Allah is free of any blame. Allah is free of any defect. Imam Bukhari completes it with this glorification of Allah and purification of Allah, expressing the transcendence of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. I extol the might and the majesty of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That's how he ends it. We also end it with the glorification of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah bless the students. Allah bless the teachers. Allah bless the principal. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bless all of those who assist. In any way, shape and form, these, mashallah, educational institutes. May Allah take this and all the other institutes from strength to strength and protect them and allow them to remain until the day of judgment. Allow them to remain until the day of judgment. Really, uh, a lot of congratulations uh, for the parents as well, uh, for the sacrifice that they made behind all of these students, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reward them as well, and allow now all of us to become the necessary links to convey this to the next generation. 
میں کہ دعا نہ ان شاء اللہ اللہم انت السلام ومنك السلام تبارک تیاد الجلال والاکرام اللہم یا حی یا قیوم برحمتک نستغیث اللہم یا حنان یا منان لا الہ الا انت سبحانک انہا کننا من الظالمین جز اللہ عنہ محمد ما هو اہله یا غفار یا فتاح یا ستار یا حفیظ یا سلام یا لطیف یا ذا الجلال والاکرام يا ذا الجلال والإكرام اللهم اغفر لنا وارحمنا وعافنا وهدنا ورزقنا اللهم اغفر لأمة سيدنا محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم اللهم اغفر للمسلمين والمسلمات والمؤمنين والمؤمنات الأحياء منهم والأموات اللهم إنا نسألك الهدى والتقى والعفاف والغنى اللهم إنا نسألك العفو والعافية في الدين والدنيا والآخرة اللهم احفظ المسلمين من البلاء والآفات والمحن اللهم جنبنا الفواحش ما ظهر منها وما بطن اللهم وفقنا لما تحبه وترضى من القول والفعل والعمل والنية يا الله have mercy on our ummah يا الله have mercy on us oh Allah accept from us oh Allah accept from all of our students oh Allah accept from all of our teachers Ya Allah, accept from all of those who assist in any way whatsoever. Oh Allah, accept from those who contribute. Oh Allah, make this a source of sadaqah jariyah, a continuous charity for them. And oh Allah, make this a blessing for them, for this world, a blessing for this world and a blessing for the hereafter. Oh Allah, we ask you for forgiveness for our mistakes, for our wrongs, for our transgressions. Oh Allah, for our delay, for our procrastination. Oh Allah, for our sins. Oh Allah, for our violations. Oh Allah, we have many violations. Oh Allah, protect us from all of those sins. Forgive us all of those sins that have brought misery in our lives, that have brought misery in the life of the Ummah. Oh Allah, protect us and forgive us all of those sins that have turned people against one another, that have brought darknesses in our life. Oh Allah, that have taken, taken the joy out of, out of our lives, that have t- made, the, made father and mother against uh, one another, or against the children, the children against them. Oh Allah, bring back the love and affection and the blessing that we are required. Oh Allah, we ask you forgiveness for all of those sins that have taken the, uh, taken the blessing out of everything that we do and that nothing gets accomplished. Oh Allah, that we're not productive anymore, that we waste so much time. Oh Allah, protect us from such th- sins that have become now part of our life and we no longer even consider them to be, we will no longer even consider them to be wrong anymore. Oh Allah, we ask you for beneficial knowledge. Oh Allah, we ask you for beneficial knowledge by which we can, we can follow in the way that you want us to follow. Oh Allah, make us the way you want us to be. Oh Allah, we have good intentions in the morning, but we fail by the evening. We have good intentions in the evening, and by the morning we have lost our intention, we have lost our focus. Oh Allah, we are distracted. Oh Allah, there are many distractions around us. Give us the ability to stay away from them to protect ourselves from them and still be protective uh, still be protected and still be productive oh Allah allow us to be the way you want us to be oh Allah send your abundant blessings on our messenger Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam oh Allah and have mercy on his ummah oh Allah our brothers and sisters are being massacred oh Allah they're being massacred they're being killed oh Allah they've been told to go from here and there and they're still not safe oh Allah oh Allah we ask that you make us worthy of your mercy. Oh Allah, that you allow us 
to uh, allow us to do what is right for us to do and correct for us to do and beneficial for us to do. Oh Allah, that you give us concern for the ummah. Oh Allah, grant us the real concern for the ummah. Allow us to be productive. Oh, allow us to be constructive. Allow us to be pr uh, practical. And oh Allah, do not make whatever you have given us a fitna for us. Oh Allah, we ask you by all the, all the older people and all the weak ones that are being killed, that have been killed. Oh Allah, that are being driven from their homes. Oh Allah, we ask you by those little innocent children oh Allah who don't even understand what is happening oh Allah they're hearing they're, they're hearing that the planes in the sky they're hearing the bombs explode around them oh Allah they have no idea what is going on but it is a, 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 a terror for them oh Allah such innocent people oh Allah many of them are uh, so many innocent people are being killed there oh Allah so many innocent being uh, people are being killed there oh Allah we ask that you take and root the enemies oh Allah that you root the enemies oh Allah you have shown us and we have our iman in you you have shown us how a small group can overcome can overcome much larger groups all the way from the time of your Prophet وسلم, until even our recent history. Oh Allah, how small groups with absolutely nothing to their name. Oh Allah, with nothing to their name. Oh Allah, but after long toil and difficulty and struggle that they can overcome the superpowers of this world. They can root multiple countries of all come and banded against them. Oh Allah, we, exp we can only hope for a miracle from you like this because none of this is too difficult for you. Ya Allah, none of this is beyond your power. Oh Allah, whatever is the wisdom, oh Allah, whatever the wisdom there is in whatever is happening, oh Allah, make us satisfied with that wisdom. But oh Allah, allow us to fulfill our responsibility. Allow us to, uh, oh Allah, grant strength and steadfastness to the people under oppression. Oh Allah, allow them to do the right thing. Oh Allah, allow them to do th things and allow us to do those things that will bring about your mercy. Oh Allah, oh Allah. Uh, this madrasa, oh Allah, elevate it. Oh Allah, enhance it. Oh Allah, bless it. Oh Allah, take it from strength to strength. Oh Allah, protect it. All the madaris, all of our madaris around the world, those in London, those around the country, those in the various different places. Oh Allah, we ask that you allow them to fulfill your work and the sunnah of your messenger Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam in the best manner possible, in the way your messenger sallallahu would be happy, in the way you would be happy. Oh Allah, you can, nothing is difficult for you. Oh Allah, protect us from all the evil that, uh, uh, or protect us and these institutes, these masajid, these marakis. Oh Allah, all of these idaras. Oh Allah, protect them from all those who seek to harm them, all those who seek to mislead them, all those who seek to do them any kind of harm. Oh Allah, grant us protection. Oh Allah, whatever obstacles are in front of us in doing the good work of your deen, oh Allah, remove that work. Oh Allah, remove those obstacles. Remove those hindrances. Oh Allah, remove those hindrances and allow us smooth sailing so that we can, we can complete. Oh Allah, accept all of us here for the service of your deen. Allow us to support one another. Grant us unity. Oh Allah, grant us unity and concern for one another. Sincere concern and good will for one another. Oh Allah, protect us from all of the petty evils that go around, the heavy evils we go around, from all the shaitaniyat, and oh Allah, from all the haywaniyat, and oh Allah, bring back insaniyat to the human being, the humanity to the human being. Oh Allah, 
bless all of the students who have completed today. And oh Allah, bless all the students and their, oh Allah, except from their parents, those who have completed the hifz of the Quran. Oh Allah, grant them, uh, their, their, their parents and them a blessing on the day of judgment of the wonderful crowns that you have promised. And oh Allah, high status in paradise, as you have mentioned, as, as your Prophet wasallam has informed us, for the Hafiz, it is read and continue to ascend, and your place is wherever you end. Oh Allah, allow us all to get that, and oh Allah, allow us all to contribute to the lives of Hufaz so that they could even intercede for us. Oh Allah, grant us the intercession of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Oh Allah, make our work be right. Oh Allah, you have blessed us in this country more abundantly than 95% of the world. Oh Allah, we live lives that are equal to 5% the top 5% of lifestyles that are used, that, that are lived in this world. Oh Allah, what a blessing this is. Oh Allah, you have given us so much, but do not make what you have given us a form of a burden upon us, a form of mischief, a form of distraction for us. Oh Allah, that's what these things they do. But oh Allah, allow them to use because your Prophet has told us that how wonderful is pure wealth in the hands of a righteous person. Oh Allah, grant us righteousness, grant us pure wealth and allow us to contribute and do the right thing and take out selfishness from our hearts. Oh Allah, those people who are sick and ill, those people who are suffering in any way around the world, oh Allah, remove their sickness and their illnesses. And oh Allah, those who have passed away, oh Allah, those who have passed away in the aggression, oh Allah, we take solace and comfort in the fact that they are shaheed, they are martyrs, they've gone from the miseries of this world, they've gone from the difficulties of this world, and their, their, their souls will be around paradise. Oh Allah, we take comfort and solace in this. And oh Allah, thank your messenger Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, bless on our behalf for teaching us these things and our scholars of oh Allah reward them abundantly from our time all the way up to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and oh Allah allow us to continue on this journey and oh Allah do not make this the last gathering of ours but oh Allah allow us to come together more and more for the sake of your deen and accept from our deen oh Allah bless all that are here and do not allow us to turn away without being forgiven subhana rabbika rabbil izzati amma yasifun wa salamun ala mursaleen walhamdulillahi rabbil alameen uh, the point of a lecture is to encourage people to act, to get further, an inspiration, an encouragement, persuasion. The next step is to actually start learning seriously, to read books, to take on a subject of Islam and to understand all the subjects of Islam, at least at their basic level, so that we can become more aware of what our deen wants from us. Uh, and that's why we started uh, Rayyan courses, so that... Uh, you can actually take organized lectures uh, on demand whenever you have free time, especially, for example, the Islamic Essentials uh, course that we have on there, the Islamic Essentials Certificate, which you take 20 short modules. And at the end of that, inshallah, you will have gotten the, the basics of uh, most of the most important topics in Islam, and you'll feel a lot more confident. You don't have to leave lectures behind. You can continue to, leave, uh, you know, to listen to lectures, but you need to have this more sustained study as well. Jazakallah khairan. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.